Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday morning messages. Today I'm continuing the series in Hebrews, sharing from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 3 through 19. Good morning. Our passage this morning is Hebrews chapter 3, verses 3 through 19. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the privilege of holding your word in our hands, the privilege of this time to explore it together, to get to know what it is that you want to say to us. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would so move within us and, in spite of our distance, move among us, that above all things, you might get the honor and the praise and the glory as we are transformed into better likenesses of the Lord Jesus, as we are built together into that holy spiritual house. We want to give you our praise in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. There's a neighborhood in Chicago that attracts clusters of tourists map in hand, who walk its streets to see the genius of the many homes designed and built by the famed architect Frank Lloyd Wright. Most of these homes are named, and the timeless brilliance of Wright's stunning designs is evident to all who walk this Oak Park tour. Rarely does one of the more than 25 homes that Wright built in this district ever come up for sale, but when one does, it attracts international attention. All one needs to read in the real estate listing is that this is a Frank Lloyd Wright home to know that it will cost an awful lot of money and attract a lot of public attention. If you have followed the Murdoch mysteries, you might remember that there was an underlying storyline that involved William Murdoch and his wife owning a home in Toronto that was supposedly designed and built by Frank Lloyd Wright. Of course, there never was any such structure in Toronto. As we come to Hebrews 3, we find the author writing of the house of God and the relative positions of Moses and Jesus with reference to that house. Hebrews 3 and verse 3. Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Our author has been at pains to demonstrate how Jesus is superior to the angels and to the mediators of the Mosaic Covenant. Now the contrast is between Jesus and Moses himself. Moses, possibly the most revered figure in Judaism. And the contrast is stark. While it is true that Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant, Jesus is faithful over God's house as the Son. The words are important. Moses is spoken of 
in the past tense. Jesus in the present. Moses was a servant within the house. He was a creature working within a created universe. He was part of the house and served within that house. Moses did not create the law. He only mediated it. Moses did not speak for himself. All that he said pointed to the greater things that Jesus Christ would say many centuries later. But Jesus, the uncreated creator, Jesus owns the house because he is the son of God. When Jesus speaks, he speaks as God himself. And then the author drops his bombshell. He writes, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. What an awesome privilege is ours. We are his house. Paul and Peter both use this analogy that every Christian is a building stone and that we are being worked together into a house. Peter refers to us as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, and then goes on in chapter 2 of his first letter to describe us in a variety of ways. He writes, you are a holy a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are a spiritual house. But this house can only stand strong as every living stone is firm in its position if we all hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. This house, the church that is built on Jesus Christ, the risen and triumphant King, this house can only stand firm when each and every one of us living stones is rooted and grounded in Christ Jesus, held by him and holding to him. And there is this test, a test carried by the single word, if. We are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Our writer will repeat this condition later in Hebrews, but for now we need to seriously consider what he means. Remember that he is writing to those who claim to be Christ followers, but who are being tempted to leave it all behind. For some, the pressures and the threats of persecution are just too much. But his first readers are those who continued to follow the Lord Jesus in spite of the pressures. And the author's concern is pastoral. He wants to encourage them to stay with Jesus. He knows that they are holding fast to their confidence and boasting in their hope because they're reading his letter and therefore can be assured that they are indeed God's house. Now I want to underline what this if does not say. The statement does not say 
If they fall away, they were never part of the body. It only says that we can know that we are God's house in the here and now. We can know that we are God's house because we have not fallen away. And while he doesn't say it directly, it's clear that we can only hold on to God and to his word. We can hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope only if God himself holds on to us. But it requires effort and determination on our part to answer the effort and determination on God's part because he will not overrule our choices or our decisions. Hebrews 3 and verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, it's typical of this author to use an allusion to Old Testament events without much explanation because he expected his Jewish audience to remember and to understand. So here he quotes from the second half of Psalm 95, which in turn refers to an event recorded in Exodus 17. We turn to Exodus 17 for a moment. We read, starting at verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of Sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? In many ways, the story of the Exodus is a sad one. The people had seen how God had delivered them from Egypt, how they had crossed the Red Sea, how their Egyptian pursuers had been soundly defeated. And by the time of Exodus 17, they had already seen God provide both water and food for them in miraculous ways. But they refused to believe that this same God would continue to provide for them. The journey to the land promised to them might have been completed in a few months, even with the training that God was giving them along the way. But because of their rebellion, only two 
Out of the several hundred thousand that left Egypt, only two received what was promised, and that more than 40 years later than they might have. The point is that the Exodus generation had witnessed many mighty works of God, works of provision, of judgment, and of mercy, only to perish in the end because of their own disobedience and rebellion. Signs and wonders by themselves are not enough to awaken faith. And the author of Hebrews argues that we, his readers, belong to a generation that is close to still mightier works, especially the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. God has spoken his clearest word through his Son, through the one who is far greater than Moses. But whether or not we actually hear it depends on our readiness to hear, depends on our faith. We too might harden our hearts. And just as that Exodus generation was condemned to endless wandering in the wilderness by their unwillingness to hear, so we too have a similar decision to make. If we choose our own way, we will not. We simply cannot enter God's rest. What does this word rest mean? Well, because of the importance of the word in the next chapter, I expect that my brother Mark will spend some time on it. But for now, let me see that this, that in this context, rest has little to do with sleep. Rather, it refers to freedom from the burden of work, of toil and strain. Rest also means freedom from whatever worries or disturbs you. Some people cannot rest mentally and emotionally because they are easily alarmed and annoyed. Every little nuisance upsets them. They always feel hassled and out of control. Rest does not mean freedom from all nuisances and hassles. It means freedom from being so easily bothered by them. Rest means to be inwardly quiet, composed, and peaceful. To enter God's rest means to be at peace with God, to possess that perfect peace that he alone can give. It means to be free from guilt, and even from unnecessary feelings of guilt. It means freedom from worry about sin, because sin is forgiven. God's rest is the end of legalistic works and the experience of peace in the total forgiveness of God. It's a bit like the bird that Carrie told us about last week, the small bird that seemed to challenge the storm. Blow how you will. Shake me off my branch. I still have wings. If this is what rest is, then it can only be found in a relationship of trust. Trust in the mercy and grace that is found only in Christ Jesus. But as long as we think that we have something better than God's word, if we refuse to hear the word of God for what it is, we can never enter into that rest. It will simply not be possible. Hebrews 3 and verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, 
that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence to the end. Let's go back to the to that original Exodus community for a moment. The descendants of Israel left Egypt because God had done some incredible works of power among them and among the Egyptians. In fact, their Egyptian neighbors begged them to leave, even, as it were, paid them off if they would just go. So Israel left Egypt. They not only left slavery, but they went with a vast abundance of gold and jewelry and clothing and other items. The crossing of the Red Sea was a turning point. There they were delivered from the Egyptian army and even saw their floating corpses by the shore. And then Israel took off through the wilderness. And what a contrast that was from the familiar territory of Egypt. Now they discovered that they had traded the lush green of the Nile Valley for a barren, rocky wilderness, which had only just enough greenery for their flocks, just enough water for today. When their food ran out, they grumbled, and God provided both manna and quails. When the water ran out, they grumbled some more, and God provided a miraculous supply of water. When they came to the border of the promised land, They doubted that God would do what he had promised. And that, in spite of all the miraculous provisions of God that they had experienced to that point. Do you see a pattern? These people did not trust the living God to provide for them. They were living in the middle of a miracle and could not see it for looking at it. The vast majority of the people simply did not believe God. They didn't trust him. They had no faith in him. As Hebrews puts it, these people had evil, unbelieving hearts. The powers of the kingdom of God swirled around them, and all they could do was grumble at the monotony of the miraculous daily provision of manna. So says our author, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. The fact is that we need each other. I need you to correct me to call me back, to challenge me. I have some feeling for how deceitful sin can be, and I know that I am easily trapped and ensnared. But I do not want to fall away. I want to honor the one who paid my debt with his own blood. I want to sing the praises of the one who has defeated death. But the truth is, I stumble easily. I need your support to stay on course. And as you exhort me to stay close to the living God, allow me to exhort you too. From examining my own heart, I'm sure that yours is not a whole lot different. The specific temptations may differ, but they all have a common root. The lie 
that was offered and promoted back in the garden. Did God really say, whatever it is, the temptation is to rewrite the word of God or to dismiss it as being outdated and irrelevant. But God has given us his word simply because he does know, because he understands, because he wants only what is best for us. So the author says, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. No, we can't change yesterday. That's the past. And the future, tomorrow? Well, that at best is the land of faith and hope. Only the present, only today is available to us. But what is done today, or what is avoided today, may well have eternal consequences. Hebrews 3 and verse 15. As it is said, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Now there's a persistent problem that we all face. That of not hearing the voice of our God. Even in these days of physical distancing, when most of us cannot go to our usual places of employment, even when our daily schedule is anything but usual, we easily become preoccupied with other things and fail to listen to God's word. Now there are any number of remedies to this. And I acknowledge that what may work for me will not necessarily work for you. But I suggest that you try this. Set aside some time, and I know this may not be easy to do, set aside aside some time in a specific place where you will not be disturbed or distracted. Now this might require that you rise early before anyone else in your household is awake. But let this be a holy time and place for just you and your Lord. Then open the Bible and spend some time with the Lord of the Bible. Let him speak to you. Personally, I find it helpful to reflect on the passage uh, that I have read by making notes and sometimes even by writing out my prayer. But it's important not to dismiss this or some similar exercise as being irrelevant to life. Allow God to speak through his word. And then do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. The people who first heard God's word through Moses were not extraordinary sinners. They were not vicious folk. They were not outcasts or criminals. It was the whole nation that heard. The same people who had benefited from the miraculous events that birthed the nation. But these people who were led by the hand of no less a person than Moses were the very ones 
who exasperated God by their hardness of heart and the rebellion that resulted in disobedience. And the end result was that they were unable to enter the land that had been promised them. But here again, the promise, the assurance of the grace of our Father. We are God's house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. We share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Hold fast, my brothers and sisters. Hold fast to the living God. Do not let tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or the events of this pandemic or anything else that happens or death or life or angels or rulers or things present or things to come or powers or height or depth or anything else in all creation. Shake your confidence in this mighty God, the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the grave. Be assured that as you hold on to him, he's not going to let go of you. May the living God continue his work in each of us. The very fact that you're here today, that you have chosen to connect with us when you might have been doing anything else, suggests that you are holding to your original confidence in Christ Jesus, and that consequently we together share in him. We are the house of God. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your confidence in us. That you would call us to yourself. That you would give us this privilege of being living stones in your temple. And being together the house of God himself. Father, we really don't understand all that that means. But we thank you that because of Jesus, you have counted us worthy to come into your presence. That we can come into your presence at any time of the day or night and know that you hear us. Know that you want us to come. Know that everything that concerns us concerns you. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us so much. We ask that you would help us, Father. Let your Holy Spirit move within our hearts. That we might be challenged to stay the course, to to hold fast to you. Father, continue to work your word into our lives that we might become better reflections of the Lord Jesus, better, more faithful ambassadors for the kingdom, that you might be honored and glorified in us and through us. And we ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church, where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.